And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Pastor Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Today, Pastor Sexton is speaking on feeding the flock of God. And now, here is Pastor Sexton. Welcome uh, to this summit. I appreciate all of you joining us. There are hundreds of thoughts sometimes that run through one's mind when we're dealing with these particular subjects that have to do with God's work. I was reading something last night about making sausage. Do you love sausage? Some people eat bacon, some people eat sausage. We have a certain type of sausage in this part of the world called swaggerties. And my wife purchases that sausage and in the hot form, so it has hot pepper in it. Someone said, you might enjoy sausage a great deal. And I do, if it's fixed the right way. I remember, I remember Dr. Robertson liked link sausages. I don't know what about it he liked, but he wanted link sausages. But the idea was, if you got close to the people who were making the sausage, it might turn you off. In other words, watching the sausage made was not very appetizing. And I think when we're talking about ministry and especially building sermons, all the pieces uh, may not seem to be very appetizing. But you're working and working with it and sometimes it looks like uh, something that's so disorderly, but the pieces finally come together. And uh, you have asked that I continue with the idea of preparation and feeding the flock and selecting messages. And so let us pray and I'll try to do the best I can if you'll help me. So let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining Heavenly Father, guide us by your Spirit. May Christ be glorified. We know that often we come to the end of ourselves and we stand almost in bewilderment and need to know the next step. Show us the way. Help us, to, help us to rise higher, to try to be on course, to wait, to allow you to speak. Guide us this day. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Someone said to me long ago, if I could get you to open up, there's a lot inside you to say that happened to be somebody who worked with us in the ministry here. If he could just get you to open up. Well, I think that's true of all of you. If someone could get you to open up, there's a lot inside that you could say. And so I'm going to try uh, to collect our thoughts around certain subjects. And I've decided today that I'm going to deal first with the questions you've sent in. Usually I wait till the end to do that. 
but I'm going to take the questions now, and I'll do them quickly. Uh, if you always have a pen handy and something to write on and uh, your Bible, I believe it'll be helpful. And you may think of other questions that are going to come to us. I think they're already coming from some of you. And we'll make a list of those, and I'll try to, try to help. But the question comes, what books do you recommend to a young man who has just been called to preach? Well, I, I think we have to talk about the call to preach in a moment and what people say about the call to preach. I think the urge to preach, the burden to preach, and the call to preach are all different things. But um, I was told early on that reading the right biography, I had more time for it then than I do now, would be something that would inspire me. As a matter of fact, Vance Havner said, you'll, you'll think you're living with the apostles when you read the life story of Charles Spurgeon or D.L. Moody or... Um, any of the great stories of people that God has used, especially among writers that I, I enjoy reading, like Richard Ellsworth Day and his works on Spurgeon and Moody, his work on uh, John Jasper, Rhapsody in Black, these types of things. But if you're talking about preaching books, there's nothing like learning the Bible. And learn how to learn the Bible. Um, as I've told you before, maybe months ago, uh, Dr. Bob Norman was one of my favorite people. Uh, Bob Norman was a talented man, a graduate of Southwestern Seminary, and a student minister with W.A. Criswell in his seminary days. But when I met him, he was the pastor of the Belmont Heights Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and he was preaching in a lot of special meetings, always enthusiastic. I can remember the first time I ever heard Bob Norman preach at the Tennessee State Evangelism Conference back when I was a Southern Baptist pastor early on. And someone was sitting beside me and said, you're about to be thrilled. Now this has been, uh, this has been uh, 50 plus years ago. And Bob Norman came to the pulpit. It happened to be his own pulpit. And somebody had been sick and couldn't come. And so they asked him to give the address in that particular session. And he preached the sermon on cowardness and courage, strangely mingled at the garden gate. And uh, he caught my attention. Of course, it was a sermon on Peter. And uh, he, he, he summarized Peter's life that encapsulated all of it and, and brought you right there to the scene where Peter was trying to cut the man's head off and cut his ear off. And then we followed Peter uh, to the gate at Caiaphas' house and we watched him in his conversation with the maid and we heard Peter deny that he even knew who Jesus Christ was. Cowardness and courage strangely mingled at the garden gate. He had a way of sermonizing and presenting the message and uh, I fell in love with him and then with his preaching that day, I was probably, what, 20 years old. And um, he made me want to preach. I also learned that though most of what God says about imagination is not good, and 
because our imaginations can run wild and go in the wrong direction. But I learned that you can use imagination sanctified, given to God, and be imaginative in your preaching. So that helped me. And so he gave me a book. This is all that was for this. He gave me a book on uh, how to study the Bible and introduced me to a man by the name of James M. Gray. James M. Gray was the president of the Moody Bible Institute. Now, don't let this throw you for a loop. He was an Episcopalian and a, a, a real fundamental man and at, at one time would have been considered the greatest Bible teacher in America. And the book was entitled, How to Master the English Bible. If I could say to young preachers, and I do here at the Crown College, I say to them, get a hold of this, read this book. And uh, read this book, how James M. Gray learned to study the Bible. Uh, attaching things together. Finding, finding what God emphasized in the Bible. And become a Bible man. And uh, I, I learned the Bible like uh, many people learn the Bible, by books. And uh, I, I take each piece of knowledge that I get and attach it to something else. So I move from the known to the unknown. An example, easy to do, is uh, the life of Joshua of the tribe of Ephraim, Ephraim the son of Joseph. And then everything about Joshua I'd attach and the tribe of Ephraim and what God says about Ephraim and Joseph and the children of Ephraim and what God did with Joseph and so connecting it. And finally, you know, you see Joshua uh, getting into the promised land, leading the people across uh, the Jordan and making sure that the bones of his great, 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 great grandfather were properly placed in the soil in Canaan. But so when you learn a piece of something in the Bible, attach it to something else. I also learned during that time that people don't know the Bible. And so use Bible illustrations, Bible stories. I learned from Dr. Criswell and his, in his message of, method of preaching, Criswell's method of preaching was uh, simplistic and his preaching was profound. So true profundity is always clothed in simplicity. But he always used the bridge or introduction in preaching, the bridge statements he'd made from sermon subject, sermon text to sermon subject, into the message. Uh, he used the context of a contextual setting of the scripture. And it gave him a wonderful time to teach the Bible to the people. And I, I was fascinated with that. And, and instead of trying to think of some illustration, some story, um, illustrations are wonderful. They're windows that God uses to open things. You're giving more of the Bible and the setting of the Scripture. You're finding the context which gives meaning and you're placing the emphasis where God places emphasis in preaching when you're doing that. And uh, I have found that people listen, people enjoy, and it makes the most beautiful foundation on which to build your sermon. 
and you're already into it that way. And it's simple because you don't have to find uh, find a, a, a story that's isolated and then try to apply it. You can use illustrations later in the message, but I, I make a habit of that. And um, it helps my style of preaching, which is extended conversation with more energy and force. But I, I'm just making suggestions to you. So what would you read? I'd read the Bible. And then I, I've given you this. I hope you have a copy of it on the Pastors and Christian Workers book list. And there's a section in it on biography. And this is not all the biography you should read, but um, I've listed here in alphabetical order many of the biographies that I would recommend. There's a long list here, a very long list. For instance, you may read uh, the life story of Frank Borum, A Pathway of Roses. Borum wrote 57 books, and uh, I have all of his books. But the first one I ever received was A Fistful of Stars uh, from Bob Norman. He got me interested in reading Borum. I wouldn't preach like Borum. I wouldn't try to preach like Borum. Uh, Borum was the last student personally interviewed by C.H. Spurgeon. And every student that came to Spurgeon's college was interviewed by Spurgeon. And Spurgeon gave thumbs up or thumbs down. And yes, you could be admitted um, that all started with one student. Uh, I may be wrong, but I believe his name was Rogers that he started his school for. And then Rogers came to America and uh, really became an apostate. But anyway, it got Spurgeon started. But uh, Frank Borum had a series he was going to do, maybe about 20 sermons on uh, great people and their, uh, their text their favorite text, like Lincoln's favorite text, or missionary, some missionary's famous text, James Chalmers, the Greatheart's famous text. Well, he had a beautiful way of using that scriptural text and wrapping around that the life story, the biographical story of the person. And if you don't have those, now what's been taken and placed into five volumes, they're out of print, uh, we may still have some of them available, but uh, Craig republished them and nobody wanted them, so I bought all of them. They couldn't sell them. I bought all of them. I don't, I don't have but just two or three copies of Volume 1, but there's Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3, Volume 4, Volume 5. If you don't get anything else from it, you'll get great sermon illustrations from those characters. But what was going to be just a handful of messages, he preached for maybe more than a year on, on just those characters, famous characters. And you'll get acquainted with famous personalities in, in history, men and women, and their favorite Bible text. That's great reading. It's great reading. What you're doing, you're filling your well. And you're going to be drawing from that well all of your life. I remember one of the men I was so fond of was named Raymond Smith. He was a pastor in our uh, Baptist Association of Churches. He pastored what I knew in Broadway Baptist Church. But he was a very analytical man and uh, trained in Scripture. He was the only man I knew at that time who was a graduate of Moody Bible Institute because most Southern Baptists had gone to Southern Baptist colleges and Southern Baptist seminaries. 
but he was a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute. And uh, he was very familiar with authors. He's the man who sold me his library for a dollar a volume when he retired. And uh, my wife and I, my wife and I <laughs> scraped together $73. Uh, sounds like a story somebody tells it's not true, but it is. And I took $73 and some of it was in change. And he could have given me things, I'm sure, and wanted to, wanted to help me. But he let me loose in his library and then coached me and said, take any volume you want and you pay me a dollar. Any volume, pay me a dollar. He's the man who introduced me to Graham Scroggie and, um, and many others. He's the man who introduced me to A.T. Pearson. And A.T. Pearson and Graham Scroggie are two of my favorite authors. But if you're going to start reading and start studying, uh, I would suggest that you don't start with how to preach. God's emphasis is on the messenger Building the Messenger, uh, like Redpath's book on the making of the man of God. Get that, the making of the man of God. And when God has made his man, his man is going to preach his word. So that's, that's the way I think about it. So God is making his man. Um, I'm sorry that I haven't come any further in my life. Um, I really want to weep right now, but I don't want to cry in front of you. I should be further along. I should be much further along. And um, I'm sure that most of you feel that way. But it's been constant. And it's the discovery of God through His Word. That's the equipping. And so that's the question. What books? Um, be a man of the Bible. I think this biography will inspire you. Just keep books with you all. Keep books in your car. Keep books in your library. Keep books in your bedroom. Now you'll have to let your wife know what you're doing and she'll have to be patient with you because, you know, she has to have time and attention. I, I'm, I'm a failure there too, so. But I've got the dearest wife on the face of God's earth who's given me, given me this time in the ministry. Um... Question number two. I can't take this long with all of them, but question number two. The invitation is a part of the sermon. That's what you say. You said the invitation is a part of the sermon. I say, yes, please expound. I would like to hear you speak on giving an invitation. Thank you for making yourself available to all of us regularly. Well, the gospel invitation is given a certain way because you believe a certain thing. I am a whosoever will man. Now, I've got many friends who are not. I am a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial man. But I've got many friends who are not. Now, I mean by friends, people I know. Ian Paisley became a close, close personal friend. He, was a, he said he was a five-point Calvinist. But um, he gave gospel invitations. He believed in soul winning. He started 82 churches. Uh, he never baptized a baby. That's what people say. He was a baby baptizer. He wasn't. He baptized only by immersion. He was, he was a Baptist man who left the Baptist Union in uh, Northern Ireland uh, because of liberalism and started preaching out in the streets and everywhere and became what he called a free Presbyterian because they kicked him out of the Presbyterian church he was preaching in. And he went out in the streets and some of the people in the streets said, we're free Presbyterians. 
and he started that movement. But he was different. He was not a pre-tribulation, pre-millennialist. He was not a... Um, he was not what I call a whosoever will man. I can't believe in the five points of Calvinism, and I know why. And uh, I, my vision of God doesn't allow me to see limited atonement the way they see it. So I, I'm just being frank with you. So when I'm ready to give uh, preach a sermon and give an invitation, and by the way, I'm not... I'm not mean to those people. They love God perhaps more than I love God and know the Lord and know His Word. But that's not the conclusions I've come to about Scripture and about the doctrine of salvation. But when I'm preaching the Bible, I'm free. I'm free to speak the truth in love and the invitation is the natural conclusion of Bible preaching. I don't consider that the preaching is preaching unless there's a verdict. And what is the verdict? I'm speaking to somebody, whether it's on the radio, through the internet, or in our church services most often, and I say to them, uh, what is it now that we should do? What is the conclusion of all this? And so the invitation is the moment that concludes the sermon and calls for the commitment. Now, there are some technical things in that. It, it ought to be not something that's roughly transitioned into. I've seen such silly behavior of some preachers. I'm sorry to say that of some preachers, but they'll stop preaching and say, now we're going to have an invitation. Somebody help me find a verse. What, 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 what page is that on? And they'll say to the pianist, do you know that? That's nonsense. It's embarrassing. You ought to give more forethought because that's where you're headed. It's like arriving to your mother's house and staying in the car. You know, it's ridiculous. And so the gospel invitation, the gospel invitation is where you're driving to. And so I like to try to think that the gospel invitation is specific and general uh, so that you're specifically asking people to do a thing so that when you know what they respond, what they're responding to. Now, preliminarily, you've trained personal workers to help you so you can't deal with everybody responding. And you've taught them how to, train, how, how to deal with people. And then there's, there's primary trainers in that group who, who have a little more knowledge, who are, who are ready to help people who are struggling. There's people really confused. And I, I think through the years, I imagine I'm saying this just off the cuff, you know how that is, but I'm saying the most difficult thing with which to deal all the time is somebody confused about their salvation. I don't know why I'm saved or not. And, you know, and then you start trying to get saved for them. But that, that has to be the work of the Holy Spirit and the confirmation of Scripture. I mean, honestly, we can get silly sometimes thinking we have to give people every answer immediately when, when really they need time with God for God to work in their heart and reveal things to them that only God can reveal to them and give them assurance that will, will be theirs from now on. So don't put yourself in the place of God. You're guiding people to God. You're not being God for them, but you're guiding them to the Lord. So, 
the gospel invitation, uh, if you have a clear, you go to give the gospel clearly. Uh, I learned from Harry Ironside, and Harry Ironside was, was in heaven before I was up and running. But Harry Ironside, I was told by Dr. Robertson and others, uh, Dr. Robertson spent just a little time at, uh, at uh, Moody Church during Ironside's ministry. And he said Ironside had a way of encapsulating the gospel in any message. And he had, a, he had a way to put that hook in it, the gospel. And I started looking at myself and thinking, did I tell people how to get saved in this? Did I make clear the way of salvation in this message? Uh, and sometimes I'd find that I hadn't done that. And I try to work at that. Maybe, maybe just the hint of, I never say I'm a Christian without explaining how I became a Christian. Um, so working at getting that hook in it, giving people an opportunity to understand this is the way to come to Christ. And there's no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Even recently, something just captured my heart. Um, I think it was... Uh, I think it was A.T. Robertson I was reading this about. Uh, but uh, it's telling people what God has done much more than what we ought to be doing. You know, I've spent so much time trying to get people to win souls and speak to people. I think we ought to make witnessing a way of life. That's an expression I wish other people would use to make witnessing a way of life. Because the the... The faithful witness, I believe, is more effective than a time to go soul winning. We ought to have times to go soul winning, but the faithful witness means you're, you're seizing, you're lunging, you're grasping every opportunity to get the gospel to somebody. It's in you. This gospel is in you. Uh, and you're telling people what God has done this is what the Lord has done to, to make salvation available to all of us. Look, evangelism and world evangelism did not begin in somebody's mind. It began in the heart and mind of God. And so it's God's idea. And, and you're, you're saturated with this. It can't help but come out. You want people saved and you tell them, Christ is the only way of salvation. And you're thinking from, from the garden in Genesis all the way to Calvary and all God did and all Satan did to stop. You're thinking all of this is the effort God has made to get you saved. Now you, you, you can believe and God has created you so that you can believe salvations of the Lord. I remember Frank Sells saying, uh, what did... Jesus said to the disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and he quizzed me. It's like him saying one time, what does the blood say when the high priest sprinkles it on the mercy seat? And I kept thinking, well, what did I read in the Bible? And then he finally, the old codger said, the blood doesn't speak. I mean, you don't speak. The priest doesn't speak. The blood speaks for itself. And so he said to me, um, what, did, what did Jesus say to his disciples? And so I thought, you know, I memorized that when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea 
Caesarea Philippi. There's two Caesareas, one at Philippi, and that's in the north, and Maritime is down on the Mediterranean Sea. But he came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. <coughs> he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then the answers came. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And um, there are reasons for that, of course. Then Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And so he said, Salvation is a decision, but it's also a revelation. Do you know, the light came on in my mind. It came on in the verse from, from Jonah, Salvation of the Lord, jumped out of the book of Jonah and landed at Caesarea Philippi in that passage for me. And I thought, salvation is of the Lord. It is God Himself who makes Himself known to us. The salvation experience is an experience with God. It's not just repeating a prayer. It's in that prayer, in that moment of belief, that God makes Himself known to you. And He begins to give you that assurance that He's living in you. I ask you this question. Let me give you a puzzling question. When the person gets saved in your church it comes forward in the invitation, you pray with them, explain the way of salvation. Did they get saved when they rose up out of the seat? Did they get saved in the altar? Now I know with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's what the Bible says. But when, at what moment did they get saved? At the moment they looked to Jesus. When they looked to Him. It might have been sitting there and said, I'm looking to the Lord for salvation. Before they ever rose up out of their seat, they might, have, they might have believed that moment. At that moment of belief, the Spirit of God met them and saved them. See, I, I've taken the burden off of me to get people saved. Oh, I have the burden to present the gospel. I must make the gospel as clear as possible. But then I say to myself, even that... I, I can only make it so clear. It's the Holy Spirit who must really make it clear. Because He's working much stronger with much more force than I'm working. Yet nobody is saved through coercion. In other words, you can't make it happen. The will of man is yielded. Faith is expressed. Salvation comes Christ comes to as many as received Him. He comes to as many as received Him. To them gave you power to become the sons of God. It's exciting to give the invitation because that's a moment where the God who is present is meeting people, changing their lives and coming to dwell them forever. Oh, listen, I, I could talk a long time about that. But at the same time, there's invitation to dedication of life. Uh, we have invitations where people dedicate their children to the Lord. And um, our friend who started uh, Neighborhood Bible Time, the boss, they called him, uh, Homesher, um, he, he said there was a special invitation for dedication of life. And many times rededication was misappropriated. It was not rededication because they didn't re-anything. 
They've never dedicated themselves. And I think the study of the invitation reveals this, that many people never surrendered to begin with, never dedicated to begin with. Now, my experience is my experience. It doesn't necessarily have to be your experience. But my experience was that I came to know Christ as my Savior when I was led to Christ by the pastor and the youth pastor at the First Baptist Church, Don Brakebill, the youth pastor, and Dr. J. William Harbin, the pastor. But I, I never really surrendered my life to the Lord in dedication, yielded my life to the Lord till three years later. And circumstantially, God dealt with me. And I wanted to know, I wanted, I wanted to know that I had given my life to God and that God had spoken to me and dealt with me. I guess uh, there's many terms to use for that. But know what you believe. And because of you believing it, then you're inviting people. I don't think, I think one of the things that's a terrible mistake is that preachers have the invitation detached from their message. Sometimes it has nothing to do with their message. Well, why in the name of good sense did you spend 20 or 30 minutes or 40 minutes talking about something that you wanted people to do and not ask them to do it? You understand? A passion is there. And the passion comes out in the invitation. Question number three. How does the coming revival you speak of and I believe in also relate to the coming kingdom? I, the coming kingdom is something God's going to do. And um, He's going to establish His kingdom and David's going to reign. Uh, Jesus Christ is going to reign on the throne of His father David. And the only throne David ever had was an earthly throne. So I believe that there's a literal throne, a literal kingdom, a literal time when Jesus Christ shall rule and reign on earth. Now, you don't have to believe that. Uh, I believe that Jesus Christ legitimately offered himself as king of the Jews and was rejected. And uh, now we're living in that, that interim. Uh, but he's coming with a kingdom. The revival is not that I'm speaking of is not the coming kingdom. Uh, the revival is just like the revivals that we read of in the Old Testament that we know about in our own history. And uh, there's a lot of comment made about revival. Uh, some of the interesting things I've read come from R.A. Torrey. But anyway, you ought to be concerned about revival, and I ought to be concerned about revival, and I believe that in the coming revival that there's a time of desperation when God's people will cry out to Him. And I really believe that it'll be preceded by disruption. Now, I'm looking for the disruption. I think we're beginning to see this disruption. And we all know we need revival. Doesn't your heart, with the word revival, doesn't your heart just yearn? But what would it be like? It would be very inconvenient for you, Pastor. It would be very inconvenient for your people. It will, it will require demands that, that are beyond the, the, the pale of the norm. And I think our hearts have to be prepared for that. So I'm praying for revival. And I believe it has to begin in my own heart with that yearning. 
Question number four. For international travel, some type of vaccine cer certificate may soon be required. That's true. It may be required to do anything. So would you consider having Dr. Whiteside? Of course, Matthew would be happy to come in and talk about it. I have, I have great apprehension about taking a vaccine. And um, I don't want to lead you astray or lead your people astray. It's like going to the doctor. I, one of my greatest friends and a, and a man I tremendously respect says he's not coming back to church until he gets the vaccine. Now, he may never get the vaccine. He may never come back to church. But what he's done, he's let emotion and fear and confusion um, I think the big issue is not to fear the COVID-19 because God's taken out, the, taken out the, the sting of death. I had it. It could have killed me, but it didn't. I've got friends who have it. My wife had it and was very seriously ill. But this, this is an issue. It's an issue for which I do not have the answer right now. I think... You'll have to answer that. And then I tell people, they say, I, I think, Pastor, I'm going to have a surgery. I just don't know if it's the will of God. I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you yield your life to the Lord? Did God lead you to a doctor? Did the doctor recommend you have a certain surgery? You can't start knocking down all these things because you gave yourself to the Lord. So, I... Uh, I can go with you so far, I can hold your hand right to the doctor's office perhaps. I can even sit beside you when you roll your sleeve up. But I can't take the vaccine for you and I can't take it for anybody else. I'm just, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to say to people, yes, no. Because I believe God revealed to us. You know, when Naaman was made whole, um, he said, to the prophet of God, I got a problem. Now here he comes up out of the water on the seventh time he dipped with flesh like a child and he says, I got a problem now. I know the God of Israel and, and I'm going to go back to the king and he's going to ask me to go worship with him, worship a God that's not real. Read that story again. The prophet did not tell Naaman what to do. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. But he let Naaman know that God would show him what to do when that came. And there are things like that in life. Is a call to preach, question number five, is a call to preach the same as a call to pastor? No. No. Is there any way to distinguish between the two? <laughs> I think many people who think they've been called to preach haven't been called to preach, but that's between them and God. And, uh, but God called me to preach different from leading me to pastor. I've never wanted to do anything but pastor. And I'm trying to think now how I can stop some things. Lord have mercy, you pray for me. I can't keep piling on. And uh, write me an encouraging note and tell me you appreciate something because sometimes I'm going to say, Lord, I've done enough. Uh, you know, I'm at the end. 
But I'm going to read some thoughts to you, and I can send them to you if you want them. If you don't, don't get them if you know God's called you to preach. But if you're trying to help somebody, this is a paper I wrote long ago. The Call to the Ministry by C.H. Spurgeon. Every Christian is called to spread the gospel. The propagation of the gospel is left not to a few, but to all the disciples of Jesus Christ, according to the measure of grace entrusted to them by the Holy Spirit. Each man is bound to minister in his day and generation, both to the church and among unbelievers. Preachers are not made, Spurgeon said. They're called. The life of a preacher is not one of choosing, but one of calling. Uh, there's no such thing as a preacher not God called. The uncalled may claim the title preacher, but they're really a speaker speaking man's powerless message. One called to preach should be able to do nothing else but preach. Then he gives these main headings. The first sign of the heavenly call is an intense, all-absorbing desire for the work. In order for there to be a true call to the ministry, there must be an irresistible, overwhelming, craving, and raging thirst for telling to others what God has done for our own souls. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's Spurgeon. I'm going to ask him if he said all this when I see him in heaven, if I'm still interested in it. One call to preach should be able to stand and proclaim the message God has given him. Big point number two, as Harold Clayton would say. Uh, combined with the earnest desire to become a pastor, there must be the aptness to teach and some measure of other qualities needful for the office of a public instructor. In order for a man to prove his call, he must make a successful trial of these. Next point. In order to further prove a man's call, that God has called him, after a little exercise of his gifts, such as I have already spoken of, he must see a measure of conversion work going on under his efforts. Or he may conclude that he has made a mistake and therefore may go back by the best way he can. The preacher called of God who is preaching God's message will soon see results, not as a result of his efforts to be a great preacher, but due to the power of God's message. Isn't that wonderful? God's word will not return void. Next big point. A step beyond all of this is needful in our inquiry. Now get this. The will of the Lord concerning pastors is made known through the prayerful judgment of His church. It's needful as a proof of your vocation that your preaching should be acceptable to the people of God. That's why when I'm involved in ordaining someone for ministry, the church requests their ordination. You see, the church must see something. The local assembly. This is the way God's established things. Your ability to preach God's Word will be noticed by other Christians. Whether you value the verdict of the church or not, one thing is certain, that none of you can be pastors without the loving consent of the flock. Therefore, this will be to you a practical indicator, if not a correct one. If your call from the Lord be a real one, you will not long be silent. As surely as the man wants his hour, so surely the hour wants his man. 
Do not run around inviting yourself to preach here and there. Be more concerned about your ability than your opportunity and more earnest about your walk with God than either. The sheep will know the God-sent shepherd. The porter of the fold will open to you and the flock will know your voice. John Newton said concerning the call to preach, a desire to serve God above all else. A demonstration of preparedness and equipping. And thirdly, a display of providential working of God in his life and ministry. The man called of God is not called to the ministry as a fallback position due to his inability in some other secular profession. That's what these great men said about the call. Now, pastoring, God prepared me all of my life to pastor. I'm, I'm not the pastor I ought to be, but I want to be a pastor. I want to help people through life get to the next level. And um, I can be as impatient as a parent or as patient as a parent. And, but it's, it's pastoring that God put in my heart. Now, the sixth question is, in your opinion, is there ever a place for topical preaching as opposed to expository preaching? Absolutely! Topical preaching can be just as biblical as expository preaching. I make it a habit to explain the scripture and exposit the scripture. But there's wonderful topical preaching also. Now don't be one of these smart alecks that thinks you know all about preaching and if somebody's not doing expository preaching, they're not preaching. Uh, you may be blessed and helped by somebody's topical sermon. Think about that. Does preaching entirely take the place of counseling? <laughs> or is there a time and place for biblical counseling? Well, I think pastoral preaching is a form of biblical counseling. I get bored at people who want me to spend time with them, who won't listen to the preaching and won't come to church. They have no time to come to church and listen to the Word of God, then I have no time to counsel with them. Many times I've said to somebody that really is hurting, we'll come to the church and then we'll talk about when we can sit together and talk. I want them to get under the influence of the Holy Spirit working. Not me, but God's promised to meet with us. And the Spirit of God can accomplish things. Sometimes before I correct somebody, I give them a church service or two. I know I'm going to talk to them. I know I've got to talk to them. I know what I'm going to talk to them about. But I give them an opportunity to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit under the preaching of God's Word because they may get right and I don't have to do that. Isn't that true? So, I know many times I've had to talk to people about, uh, you know, dismissing them from something. And by the way, it's always harder to get rid of someone working at something than it is to get them to work. So some of you are struggling, I got to get help, I got to get help. Well, getting rid of the wrong help is a whole lot harder than getting, getting a hold of the right help. So be patient. But many times I've seen people know that God wants them out and I'll come to work with them and they'll say, I got to tell you something. I say, yes, please. And they say, I just believe God's got something else for me. I said, oh, well, I appreciate you telling me. And I was going to talk to them later that day about getting rid of them. But see, the Holy Spirit does these things. I'm not doing this by myself. I, if I did have to do it by myself, I'd have quit this morning. I wanted to quit this morning. I wanted to quit on the way to work this morning. 
Matter of fact, I took 10 minutes getting out of the car thinking about whether I was going to quit or not. I got so cold sitting in the car, <laughs> I had to get out and had to come to work. But that's the way it goes. So we're talking about these things and trying to help one another. Now, we're talking about feeding the flock of God. Let me give you some scriptures. I do want to talk to you about America knows your city knows, and saturating your area with the gospel. Look, we have got to get down to business. Here's what the preacher has to do. Write down the verse, would you please? Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man, point number one, teaching every man, Point number two, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man. That's point number three, perfect in Christ Jesus. So we've got to warn them. We've got to teach them in all wisdom. I'm getting all worked up about what's going on in the state of Georgia and electing two senators down there. I'm trying to pray about doing a little video to send it to every preacher I know in Georgia. And I recommend to you, you ought to stir up everybody you know in Georgia to stir up people to get out and vote and vote for the Republican candidates for the Senate because if they can, if they can change that, Georgia is on the line. The, the motto for Georgia is justice or wisdom, justice, and moderation. The fact of the matter is wisdom comes from the fear of God. And justice is what God says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And the truth of the matter is, you don't even know what moderation is, and neither do I, unless we've got wisdom and justice to precede it. And they're about to do the most unjust thing imaginable. There's no God-fearing person in the state of Georgia who wants Georgia to be used the way Chuck Schumer and his liberal politics is trying to use the state of Georgia and use Georgia to promote their social agenda. And, um, and he's come out and said that. And so preachers hold the key. Churches should be leading the way and pastors should be leading their churches. Uh, be a voice, not an echo. Don't wait and just be an echo. Be a voice. Like John the Baptist was a voice Jesus. And so be a voice, but warn and provide wisdom and present every man. The Word of God says in 1 Peter, write it down if you would please, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you. God says you're to take the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, not as being lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. But feed the flock. Feed them. You're preparing three meals a week, most of you, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And what ingredients go in those meals? There may be a little salt and pepper, a little illustration or something, but 
What's there? Is it the Word of God? The uninterrupted teaching and preaching of God's Word. People say, well, that's not interesting to me. No, that's not interesting to people because preachers aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. I know when I'm not filled and it's just a struggle. But seek God, seek His power and blessing. And then stand as His man. Remember what, uh, what uh, our friend wrote in 1677 in his letter to a friend, Henry Scrogel. Remember, he's our friend because we met him in his book. He said, we are preaching about God in the presence of God. That's powerful for me to think about that. Now, let me tell you one other thing, if I can find it. God says you're helping your flock in Acts chapter 20 when Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders and he tells them the review of his life and the fact that he's going to finish with joy. He, he comes near the conclusion and he says, um, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. God's word will build a strong church and build strong people. Not clowning around, not a circus, not, a, not any of that stuff, but God's Word will build a strong church. And by the way, it doesn't happen overnight. Some of the seeds you've sown, the work you've done months ago, maybe even years ago, will be the thing that strengthens people through a great trial they're having at this moment. Get ready for it by giving the Word of God. I think we need to talk a little about preaching a book of the Bible or getting the heart content and um, what we want to do. But I, I have some things I want to share with you about our country. How many of you are concerned about your country? We know we need to do what God said in world evangelism, but we can't do in world evangelism what we ought to do in world evangelism unless we take care of our own Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem, and that America knows. I'm going to ask you to do something, and I'm going to work with you and help you and encourage you. But I'm glad that we're able to be together today. And uh, this is our moment. We must talk about preaching the right message to the right people. I've got it right here, and uh, I got off on your questions. Let me give you this concluding remark. Nothing is important. Nothing as is important in preaching. Nothing as keeping your own life right with God. Jesus called his disciples first to be with him. You know, I've got to take care of the relationship with my wife, my family, my children, my grandchildren. I've got to take care of the relationship I have as a pastor to the leaders, the deacons, the staff. But I can't do any of that if I don't keep my own self right with God. Nothing can substitute for that. Nothing. Nothing. If you'll be patient, let us start there, right there, when we come back together again. I love you and I'm praying for you. And I'm counting on you praying for me. I really need it. And I'm really counting on you praying for me. And... Uh,
Brother Brian Cooper, I'm glad you're here. I saw Julia in chapel. I'm sorry she got banged up and got in that little car wreck. wasn't little. It was her in it and her good friend. But she looks like she's doing great. I appreciate you letting her stay and finish here. So lead us in our closing prayer. We're going to put you on, on um, talk mode. And uh, lead us in our prayer, will you? Thank you. Lord, we do thank you for this day that you blessed us with. We do thank you for the time that we've had to be together. Lord, our hearts have been stirred by the fact that we as men of God must be right with God if we're going to do the work of God. And I pray that you would bless. I pray that you move in our nation. I pray that you move in our state here in Georgia, Lord. I pray that this election would be honoring to you. I do pray for Pastor. I pray that you'd encourage and thank you for his faithfulness. And Lord, uh, how you used him in all of our lives. And we do praise you for this day we've been given to serve you. May we make the most of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Enjoy what you're doing. God bless you as you go. I'll see you again, I hope, soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. 